as we think about the season that we're in, we've already been reminded numerous times of the season that we're in, I want to ask you a question. And the question is, what do you want for Christmas? I'm fairly sure that you've been asked that a number of times already. Uh, if Certainly if you're a child, you've been asked that, or you, maybe you haven't waited for the question, you just went ahead and provided the Amazon link that, you know, here's maybe some kids do PowerPoint presentations, I guess this is the thing now, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you have in some way or form or fashion probably been asked what's on your list. Um, which is understandable when you're a child, but when you get to be older, you reach a certain point where, and, and maybe people differ, but, but for me, I, I don't really want anything. I, I have everything that I need. I, I'm, I'm not a materialistic person by nature. I, I, there's, there's not a lot of things that really fill that cup for me. So I, I'm hard to shop for, and I just tell my wife, I want a happy family, and if everybody's under one roof, that's great. And when we think about our culture specifically, it really is... At a certain point, we, we sort of max out on the things that we, that we ask for, the things that we should ask for, the things that we want, because we, we really have everything that we need. I mean, I, I hate to break the news, but, but if everyone in here received absolutely nothing, we'd still be exceptionally blessed. And it's, it's, it's so challenging, especially when you have young children, too. You want to get them things, but at the same time, you know that getting them things, that the, the things that they already have tons of things that they don't play with or use, and, and you wrestle with how to do that in the right way. I, I read, perhaps you've heard this, um, a, a kind of a neat way to remember how to buy for your kids something they want something that they need, something to wear, and something to read. Um, and I think that sounds great as a parent. Admittedly, as a child, that probably didn't sound so exciting, especially when it came to something to wear. I was never excited about socks and underwear on Christmas. Uh, so, But it is that thing that we wrestle with because... Even if, we, even if we have a lot of wants, when we really get right down to it, we have very few needs. Very little, if any, that aren't already met over and over again. So I ask you this morning, in all sincerity, what is it you truly need? What is it that you truly need? I, I really think there's very little, but there is, there is one thing, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue in our unexpected series. Now, so far, as, as Mark reminded you, we've been going through Matthew's account. So some of you say, well, wait, what about Luke's and what about... Yep, that's fine. 
I've preached those over the years, but this year we're just going through Matthew. And as we look at only Matthew's account, it's not that we're ignoring the rest of Scripture, but we're just taking taking into account what Matthew wants us to remember. We started with Jesus' awkward ancestry. He starts with that big, long list of names and a reminder that, that Jesus' legal family tree, the one he, that Matthew tracks through Joseph, that family tree was messy and full of sinful and seedy characters, just like our family tree. Last week, we talked about the parents' predicament uh, as, as Joseph and Mary have to wrestle with this pronouncement, and, and the angel's instruction to them, and we, we learned that God's working is not dependent upon my understanding. God's working is never dependent upon my understanding, and that God's distance, even when God f- feels so far away from what I'm going through, God's distance does not mean God's absence. And so, as we recall those things, we continue today in, uh, we're going to overlap by one verse and then continue through verse 25. We're in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 21. And the angel here is is mid-sentence, and he says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So in the midst of this decision that Joseph is trying to make, the decision whether or not to divorce Mary privately, quietly, to avoid causing her any more shame and stigma than was needed, this angel appears to explain what Joseph does not fully understand to fill in the gaps of knowledge that he does not have. And he introduces Joseph to this child coming to Mary's womb. Here's what Joseph learned. First, Jesus is the Savior that we all need. He says, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. We talked about last week that Jesus is a very common name in that culture. For he will save his people from their sins. So he had a common name, but he had an uncommon purpose and mission in his life. He says he came, he will save his people from their sins. Which reminds us that all of us, whether this is your first time in church, or whether you're someone who's been a lifer, shall we say. You were raised in the church. You've been, you know, baptized at a young age. You, you've been sticking with it your whole life. You, you, you've got it down. But the angel says he will save his people from their sins. 
that all of us, all people, and not just those in this building, but all people have a sin problem. And that doesn't always come to our attention because I really am a good person, you know? I mean, I mean uh, we, we heard about from Andy all of the, the, the chemicals that flood my, my brain when I give, and I, I'm good, I'm just so good, and I feel good about myself. And, but the problem is that scripture, scripture doesn't line up with saying that you're just good enough. The Scripture, in fact, points out that we have the sin problem. The law points it out. You, the, 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 the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, the spelling out of God's exact standard of righteousness. You, you hear people say sometimes, well, well, just live, I think you just be a good person, just live your life according to the Ten Commandments. That sounds good, but most people, most Christian people, most Bible-believing, God-fearing people cannot, without some Googling, recall all Ten Commands. And even if you can, you've got a problem. There's way more than ten commands in the law. Over 600 by many counts. And this problem is that the law only points out our problem. It only condemns... You have people in your life that are extra critical. That no matter what you do, it's never enough. That no matter... How you perform, it's never quite to their level of expectation. That's difficult. The law is perfect. I don't want to misunderstand, but the law continually points out that we are never quite there. We, we are not quite good enough. Even the best of us fall short. You see, the, the, the problem with just living your life by the Ten Commands is... What happens when you break one? According to the law, you're a sinner. You fall short of the glory of God and you're worthy of dying. That's not real great news. The the law points out the problem, but the law doesn't solve the problem. The, The prophets point out the problem. Again and again, they're reminding the people again and again, return, repent of your sin and return to the Lord. But the prophets just call out our sin. They couldn't redeem us from our sin. The law points it out, but it couldn't save us. The prophets called it out, but they can't redeem us either. Jesus fulfills the one need, no matter who you are, that everyone has. He fulfilled perfectly the law's demands of justice and righteousness. He's the only one who ever would do it perfectly. He's the only one who fully and completely answered every one of the prophet's predictions. And most of all, he didn't just do it perfectly. He didn't just live it out perfectly. He did that, that he might save us. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 14, jumping out of Matthew for just a moment, the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, says in 1 John chapter 4, and we have seen, as John saw, and testify, as only John could, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father did not send the Son. We, we put on all our expectations on Jesus, but the Father had just one to redeem, to atone for, and to save us from our sin. He's the Savior we all need, and, and more precisely, He's the Savior that you need. You see, it's it's a it's it's a it's something that a preacher can get in his study and think about the concept of of atonement, and that and that Jesus, the one man, both God and man, can fulfill and fully atone for all sin of all the world, and that's still outside of us. But when you bring it down to you, he came to save you from your sins. If you're following along, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Let that sink for just a minute. The Apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament whose letters we study and think about and ruminate on, and we, we consider a man like this to be a righteous, God-fearing. He was all in on Jesus. But when he considered Jesus as Savior, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's not just everyone out there. It's not just everyone out there driving outside Meridian. It's all sinners, including me, of whom I am the worst. Siri's the worst too, by the way, but I am the worst. I'll, I'll, I'll not ever forget it. We were on the mountain, with which some of you are familiar. We had an unforgettable camp experience and as we were going through the week it was one afternoon and it was during recreation time and I was walking along I don't remember if I even had an agenda at that point but it was during kind of the free time and there was a young man sitting by himself it's kind of unusual as you know 
during free time. He wasn't playing. He wasn't, he wasn't engaging in a game. And so being the youth minister at the time, I did what youth ministers do when they see a teenager by themselves. Go over and check on this young man. I, I kept it light. I, but I could tell this man was in deep reflection. I didn't at that time know, but I would soon enough, that he was carrying some heavy things. And as I listened to this young man, who statistically has not lived a fifth, maybe a fourth of his life, go on and on. A young man, strong, athletic, but tears welled up in his eyes as he talked about his sin and then hung his head as if unable to look me or God or anyone in, in the eyes and I heard him say I am just the wor- I am just the worst kid Broke my heart then, broke, breaks my heart now. As much as it broke my heart, I've never forgot that if you're a serious person, if you're thoughtful, if you're honest, that at some point, Everyone who examines themselves comes to the exact same conclusion. I am just the worst. And that's not being dramatic. The Apostle Paul examined himself in comparison with the righteousness of God and said, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And if you are in church or watching online and you're carrying the same burden that that young man did. That you have sin that is hidden, you've, you've passed over it with years and decades. And, but every time you think about it, you just come to the same conclusion. You need to know 
that Scripture would agree with you, except God just doesn't leave you there. That's why he sent his son, as the angel said, to save his people from their sins. You see, God did in Christ what you and I cannot do for ourselves. It is impossible to sanctify yourself, to stack up enough good works to erase your own sin with some sort of spiritual magic eraser, you don't have that ability. But the good news is Jesus does. God accounted for that. And that's why he sent his son. From the moment of his birth, this was his mission to save you and me because we cannot save ourselves. The angel goes on to remind Joseph that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. He says, all this takes place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. Number one, here's, here's a couple of, of the promises that he fulfilled. Number one, the messianic promise. This promise of a coming Savior, of one who would redeem, of one who would set free. Now, the Jews at that time had more in mind a political leader, a Savior, a, a, a human being that would throw off the yokes of the Roman Empire, who would lead to victorious rebellion. They got real excited. We, human beings do the same thing. Okay, we're, we're coming into, you didn't, maybe you knew this, I don't know. We're going to come into a political year this coming year. Did you realize that? I don't know if you knew that. Um, and the thing is, that as human beings, we, we are seeking a savior, and, and both sides, the, the, the red and the blue, the left and the right, are seeking a savior. We elect that guy. We elect that lady. And all our problems will be over. That's not a new thing. The Jews thought in the same way. Except they, didn't, they knew it was not going to be by human election, they knew it was going to be divine, divine election. So they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking toward a Savior. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, but not in the way that they expected. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, this fulfillment of the Messianic promise, this, this promise starts all the way back in Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah, the prophet, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is the one that he fulfills here in Matthew 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Jewish people who understood the law and the prophets would have readily, as Joseph would have, understood what the angel was talking about. 
that this is a fulfillment of a promise that's hundreds of years in the making. Uh, Just by very conservative counts, Jesus fulfilled over 300 individual prophecies concerning himself within the scriptures. I just gave you two. But Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise. He would later say in John 19, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He'll say later in Matthew, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And see, we think about Jesus in a personal way. I just talked about your sin. But you need to understand that Jesus isn't just a you savior. He was the fulfillment of promise of God to all people and to specifically the Jewish people as Messiah. Promise number two, the incarnate promise, which means God with us, the scripture in Matthew 1 says. This is the idea, incarnate means in the flesh, God in flesh. Jesus is full deity and full humanity, and I tell you, I cannot fully wrap my human mind around that. How in one man, Jesus, is full deity and full humanity in one person, I don't, I can't comprehend. I've sat with it, I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've read about it, but it is something that is a bit beyond our bandwidth, as you say. In the virgin birth, we see Mary, humanity, and the Holy Spirit overtakes her. That's deity. In, in this pronouncement, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, these two entities which have never been together are now drawn all together in one person, Jesus the Christ. If you care to think more about this and you want to do a little bit more study, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is a fabulous dealing with the preeminence of Christ and the incarnate Christ. A couple of verses from Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Go to verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus fulfills the messianic promise and the incarnate promise of God. All right. So what do we do with that? Well, a couple of things. I think it's really important to remember that God always keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. It may take some time. We read these promises and say, oh yeah, God fulfilled that. But these were promises that were hundreds of years in the making People had lived and died and lived and died and lived and died and lived and died and God still had not fulfilled the promise. And we get impatient when Amazon takes more than two days to get it here. We have to have a bigger perspective on God than just here and now. God always keeps his promises. It may take some time. It likely will. 
it will not look exactly as you imagined. But never doubt God at his word. He always keeps his promise. And as I think about it, as I think about the whole of Scripture, there's just one promise yet to be fulfilled. There's just one more. God has a 99.999% success rate on fulfilling his promises so far, and this one will fulfill the rest of that. You want to know what it is? Turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, we're just going to look very quickly at verse 28. So, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. A reminder, in a season of wants and needs, as we pretty much have everything we want and everything we need, there is one thing that you need that you will not and cannot find on Amazon. It's a Savior. Jesus is the only one you truly need. He's been offered once. It happened 33 years after he came into the world on a cross. He fulfilled perfectly the law's demands and atoned with perfect atonement. His perfect blood, unblemished by sin. In becoming the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, And now offers us the hope of that atonement, that forgiveness, that redemption. That's already happened. The question now is, are you ready for his second appearance? Well, the second time he comes back, it will be amazing. You will not forget it. But it will not be for the same reason that he came the first time. The second time he comes will be to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So my question is, are you eagerly waiting on him? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is our only hope, and indeed, he is our only need. If you have Jesus Christ and nothing else, you have everything in the world that you need. And my question is, are you ready for the second time when he returns? If you're not ready, today is a perfect day to get ready. We have the water ready. We have people ready. We have our, our, our shepherds will be at the back to receive you. But the question is not, are we ready? The question is, are you ready? And if you are, there's no better day than today to receive the gift of salvation 
your greatest need that you'll ever have. And it comes only through Jesus. If you're ready to obey the gospel, to believe in him and to put him on in baptism, repenting of your sins and to to walk in a new life, then you can do that this morning. You can have a brand new life. You can be a brand new person, not on the outside, but on the inside. And a brand new heart through Jesus the Christ. If you can identify with a young man sitting on the edge of a mountain in Colorado, I, I invite you not to think about your sin, but to step forward toward a Savior, Christ Jesus. If you need him, if you have any other need of this congregation that we can help you and pray for you, we would love to serve you. Whatever need you have, your opportunity is now. As we stand and sing, please head to the back.